on today's episode, which strength training method will improve my running performance. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. This episode is developing in real time, really. (laughs) Um, Just this morning, I uh, created a post, which was um, an article that was just published like a few days ago, mentioning the different strength methods, uh, different strength training methods, and could only get the abstract because it was only just fresh, um, new on the internet. And I thought I'd share it anyway, because it was just so super useful. And um, so shared the abstract to people on Facebook and Instagram. And they kept coming back with me like, well, what's the definition of this strength training? Like what they want to know the specifics. And so I was lucky enough to reach out to Rich Blagrove, who was in our strength training season as a uh, expert guest. And he is very well versed in strength training to help improve running performance. And so reached out to him. He gave me the full article which i'm very thankful for and um as as i was sort of planning this out i kept getting comments on instagram and facebook being asking questions about the paper so i thought i'd decide to do a podcast episode on it just explaining the whole thing so it'll be a little bit different today because we're actually going to spend uh the episode talking through a paper which i haven't done before and i'm going to try and make it as clear as i can as practical as i can or just like lay it out at least so you can follow along and kind of understand it because the scientific research, the papers, they get a bit dry and they can get a bit complex uh, if I was just to read it from paper. So um, I'll try my best to uh, have it free-flowing and so that you can understand not only just as a recreational runner with no scientific background, but just hearing the audio, hopefully um, it fits all in. And it ties in really well. My decision to do this tied in really well with um, Colin's episode, um, a couple of... Uh, I think it'd be about a week ago now, um, two weeks ago maybe. And so um, Colin had an episode on safety tips in the gym and his main philosophy was around high reps, doing like um, 15 to 20 reps um, to to stay safe. And I'll keep in in mind that it is uh, his opinion, working with bodybuilders and the injuries he's seen in the past and um, not necessarily working on running performance, but mainly just as safety tips if you wanted to keep as safe as you can for your joints in the gym. And so this is a totally different um, approach. This isn't focusing on gym safety. This is focusing on increasing running performance and building strength. And so 
um, when this whole um, paper came out. Um, I thought it'd really it'd tie in really well so you can gain Colin's knowledge, you can gain the knowledge from this paper and then decide what you want to do for your strength approach um, when you are in the gym and that sort of thing. So um, before we actually get started, um, I have had a few reminders in other podcast episodes to go back to season one and listen to those universal principles that every runner needs to know. And a lot of people have been doing that. So I thank you. Those numbers are jumping up, but there is a big discrepancy between some of the episodes in that key 10 um, compared to others. So the first episode, episode number one, obviously has the most listened, but about half of the downloads are in like principles, like say, um, episode six or principle number six talking about cadence it's called watch your step and it's talking everything about cadence and um, things around efficiency and why we need to understand cadence what is cadence how do we change it that sort of thing that's crucial for every runner to to know Um, and also there's not a lot of listens in principle number eight which is titled rest not always best and this has a look at um, why we shouldn't be completely resting our injuries because some of the main issues that people have when they uh, succumb to a symptom or an injury is they want to rest it, rest for about a week, let it sort itself out and then go back to running, which isn't the best case. And that's um, essentially where we start getting into that pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral that I talk so much about. And I go into depth into that principle. So um, check out these episodes. I probably didn't do it justice by um, coming up with the title of the ep- these sort of episodes, but definitely go back and listen to all ten of those universal principles because you need to know it for every single injury. If you want, if your overall goal is for injury prevention and to overcome your existing injury, you need to know all these. So I think that counts for most of the runners out there. All right. So this article, uh, the title of the article is concurrent complex and endurance training for recreational marathon runners the effects on neuromuscular and running performance so a lot of big names a lot of big words there what does it mean so um they're trying to establish for recreational runners uh for recreational marathon runners what is the best course of training to help improve running performance and We're going to look at a few different groups that they've allocated. Um, But before I do that, let me just get a grasp of the people that they've included. So they've included 38 non-injured recreational runners, which have, which need to fit a certain category. They were male and female. They're anywhere between 18 and 40 years of age, and they needed to have at least two years of endurance training experience. So not new runners, they needed to be experienced. They need to have completed at least one marathon. So again, adding to their experience resume and they needed to have been running more than 35 kilometers per week. So, you know, if they've ticked all those boxes, you can tell that they're um, a pretty consistent, uh, pretty consistent runner, uh, which is really nice for this sort of study because we don't want newbies coming in and seeing what their training effects like if they're starting from baseline. So they gathered these people. Um, oh, the other thing that I should mention is uh, within this population, they uh, were advised or they were included if they hadn't inclu- if they hadn't participated in any strength training in six months prior to this study. So they hadn't done any strength training. Um, they were just running. So I guess that's a lot of the runners that are out there now. Um, 
So that's why I, I do love this study. I love this study for many reasons, but um, that's one of the reasons. So they got these 38 people and then they randomly allocate them into three groups. And the group one being the what they called complex training group. And this consisted of a few things. It consisted of why they're called a complex is because within a set, they would do their slow, heavy exercise, and then they would jump straight from that to do a bodyweight plyometric exercise. And that would count as one set, and then they'd work their way through that. So that was group number one. We'll call them the complex group. They're including heavy strength work, plus also some plyometric exercises. The second group that was in this study was the heavy strength group. And that was exactly the same as what the complex is doing, but they've just removed the plyometric exercises. So they're only solely focusing on slow, heavy exercises. The third group that they included was the endurance strength group. And I'll delve a little bit more into detail of the actual interventions of all of those three, but just keep that in mind for now. We've got the complex group, we've got the heavy strength group, we've got the endurance group. Before they do these interventions, they went through this sort of preparation phase, which is really nice for safety and very nice for just testing um, a whole bunch of things just to see if there's, you know, too many, um, too many runners in one group that isn't really um, balancing out their, um, their baseline measurements. So they could have some super strong runners or super elite runners in one group compared to the other. So it's good that they do these testings. So within the preparation phase, I think it went over about two. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Two weeks, all the runners went through six sessions of technique training so they haven't done much strength work well they haven't done any at all in the last six months but if those that don't have any experience um, all of them were gone went through the same technique training so they went through six sessions I think it was over three weeks um, no it was over two weeks so they did three technique sessions three technique sessions a week um, and then during that phase they also did a bunch of strength testing so they did these like counter movement jumping they did like a leg press strength testing they did one rm so your one repetition max testing and they also looked at the runners running economy on a treadmill and they looked at the runners vo2 max testing so they just tested everyone that was participating in this study with all of those variables when it came to running economy they got all of them on a treadmill uh, they used like a heart rate monitor and a metabolic analyzer which is pretty complex. But anyway, they're running on a treadmill at 12 and 14 Ks per hour. And they defined their running economy as the, um, what was defined as the steady state oxygen consumption at a given speed. So essentially what they were doing is seeing how effectively someone can consume oxygen, how effectively, how efficiently they can consume oxygen at a submaximal speed. So that's the method that they used. Um, and good to know once they tested all of those and allocated into the groups, there was no difference in strength or other variables pre-intervention. So all the, all the different groups, their baseline measurements were all exactly the same. So we say, fantastic. Let's get into 
the intervention phase. Um, they were also instructed that each group was to train twice a week. So this intervention that they were given, they were to do each of these strength sessions twice a week for six weeks. And while they were doing this over six weeks, they were um, advised to just do their normal running routine, which would consist of a long, slow distance running session at an intensity that was 60 to 80% max heart rate and their heavier kind of interval sessions, they were to do at 80% of their heart rate max. And it should be noted that um, on average, like throughout this entire study, their running volume outside of their strength training was exactly the same. So for the complex group, it was 47 Ks per week. Um, for the heavy strength group, it was 48. And for the endurance group, it was 48. So 47, 48, 48 was the average mileage they were doing outside of this strength group, uh, outside of their strength training. So good to know that that didn't have any other influence on the results of the intervention. Okay, so we've done all our testing. We're ready to get into the gym. We've done all our technique training, so we know that their techniques are fine. Let's dive into the actual intervention. And um, all of the intervention groups, all three of them, they had the exact same warm-up. They were to do um, some jogging and some dynamic stretching, but this is where they divvy off into their three different groups and do something different. So the complex group, uh, which involved their heavy strength and in uh, plyometric exercises, they went through a warm-up of two sets of eight to 10 reps, um, just doing back squats at 50 to 60% of their one RM, so very lightweight. Um, they were just advised to do two sets of those just to warm up, get the body used to it, and to reduce the risk of injury. Um, so very wise to implement that. And then they were to go through three sets of three different um, pairs of exercises. So um, let's go through the first one. So the first exercise that they did was back squats, but then after they did their, uh, while well, they um, ramped up the, the weights, so they did back squats, and then after they did back squats, they then went into a double leg jump from a 30 centimeter box. So they would do their heavy squats, let go of the weights, and then they would do body weight um, squats, double leg jumps from a 30 centimeter box. That was the first pair that they would do. Then they went to the second pair of exercises. So the second pair would be split squats and do that with weighted exercise, uh, with weights. Then they would do body weight split squats, but into a single leg hop. So that's where the plyometrics came into it. The third pair that they did was walking lunges again with heavy weights. But once they finished doing their heavy weights, they then moved into the the other uh, exercise, which was double leg uh, hurdle hops. So they did um, hopping over a 30 centimeter hurdle um, after doing that, after doing those lunges. So they paired all of those, there's three different groupings, and then they would just cycle through three sets of all of those. And now you're probably asking, well, how heavy were they lifting? Um, and it was different depending on throughout the entire six week duration. So for the first two weeks, it was 70 to 75% of their one RM. So kind of lighter, but every two weeks it would bump up. So in between, um, so weeks three and four, it was 75 to 80% of their one RM. And then 
in week five and six, it was 80 to 85% of the 1RM. So they're essentially lifting heavier and heavier weights every two weeks uh, throughout that six-week duration. And it should be noted that that was only for the back squats, the split squats, and the walking lunges. Once they did, uh, once they moved onto the plyometric exercises, all the plyometric exercises were body weight. And so they also mentioned in here that in between the the exercises themselves and in between sets was a four minute break. And they, um, based on past literature, they established that four minutes was enough time to restore power into the muscles. And so that was a um, why they chose that time. That was a complex group. The heavy group was exactly the same. So what they did was they still did their two sets of warm-ups at 50 to 60% of their 1RM. And they um, they did everything exactly the same as the first group that I just described, except they removed all of those plyometric exercises. So they still did back squats. They still did split squats. They still did walking lunges. They still um, did the same range of 1RM and built that up over the weeks. Um, but they just removed those plyometric exercises. However, the only difference that they did make was they added two extra sets to this heavy strength group, so this second uh, intervention group. And why they did that was because if the uh, complex group got stronger, they're just, they're just doing more exercises. So they tried to balance out the total amount of exercise that was done and the overall load by adding two extra sets. So there was five sets in total of these um, of in the heavy strength group. And uh, it's hard to say exactly what reps they used. They didn't really talk about um, the exact amount. I think it was somewhere between eight and 10 because that was the amount of reps that was described in the warm-up. So I'm assuming that all of these exercises were between eight and 10 reps and then just increasing the weights throughout the six weeks. Um, I should note as well that the heavy strength group, their rest time was only three minutes in between exercises. And that was just to equate to the overall um, strength training time compared to the uh, complex group. So very similar between those two groups. Then we have the third group, which is your endurance strength group. And they did exactly the same exercises. They did the back squats. They did the split squats. They did the walking lunges, but they reduced the overall weight. So they did 30 to 40% of your one rep max, and they did 20 to 30 repetitions. So a lot lighter, but they're doing it more often. And this also increased to five reps, uh, five sets, I should say, um, just so that we're matching the amount of overall load that's going through all of these intervention groups. So they're essentially doing their strength training all um if they're all added up, it'd be the same amount of time. However, the rest time for the endurance group was one minute in between exercises. Um, so yeah, and then strength training for all the three groups were exactly the same. And the participants were asked to avoid any other strength training over the six weeks while they're conducting these studies. It'd be kind of silly if um, once it uh, uh, like once a week, um, someone else did another strength training session when we're trying to keep everything as standardized as we can. And I think within this study, they did an excellent job of designing the study so that um, those kind of variables were um, were removed. And like I said, they were doing the same amount of, um, same intensity of running um, consistent. 
So then we've gone through our six weeks of them doing those different, all those interventions. They've done the same testing. So they've done the 1RM testing, they've done the VO2 max and the running economy testing just to see how much benefit there has been. So the 1RM and the leg press improved significantly across all the groups. Um, however, it's uh, how much they improved by. So the second one was that the squat jumps and the counter movement jumps, which were some of the strength testing they did, and the eccentric phase of the leg press were significantly increased, but only in the complex group and only in the heavy strength group. So when it came to um, squat jumps and counter movement jumps and the eccentric phase of the leg press, so we're looking at um, a bit more tendon loading, we're looking at a bit more um, power. Um, it didn't see any significant changes in the endurance strength group. However, the complex and the heavy strength group showed some benefits or showed significant benefits. Now it comes into um, stuff that we're a bit more interested in, and that is running economy, because running economy is very uh, strongly correlated to running performance and very strongly correlated to how you perform in a given race. So um, they mentioned, so running economy at 12 and 14 Ks per hour, the complex and the heavy strength group showed to have significant improvement in their running economy. However, there was no change in the endurance training group. So those who um, didn't lift as heavy and did their 20 to 30 uh, reps for uh, five sets, they didn't show any change in running economy over those six weeks. However, the other two groups did, and there was identical effects seen when testing your VO2 max as well. So when it came to the VO2 max, the heavy strength group and the complex strength group both showed significant improvements. So then they have an overarching conclusion in this study. They've stated that the primary finding of this present study was that adding both either or either complex strength training and heavy strength training to your regular running program resulted in significant improvements in maximal strength and power significant improvements in running economy and significant improvements in your vo2 max uh, that's a very nice way of um, concluding all of those findings but like everything like every study they implement some limitations some things you need to consider and one of the main things is that it is a re relatively small sample size they did keep things really consistent they observed everyone everyone that was doing their strength training was observed by um, a trained professional to make sure they're doing everything okay once it starts getting bigger and bigger populations it's really hard to control those variables but when you do have a bigger population and then you see the same effects it has better statistical power like you can have more confidence that what um, the results are is actually true if you have a smaller sample size then um, we need to take it with a grain of salt and 38 is, it's it's okay. Um, you wouldn't find a, a well-designed study like this with bigger um, groups. But again, it's it's not like five people. It's not like 10 people. It's um, pretty considerable, but it could be better. Um, the other limitation is we're not too sure of how this intervention would have an effect after six weeks. Like if we did the same thing for eight weeks or 12 weeks, um, we're not too sure if maybe other groups start balancing out maybe the heavy strength group starts to become more superior we're not too sure um, so that's just what we have within that six week time frame 
Um, and the other limitation that I could think of that they didn't include is, does it actually translate to marathon racing? Does it actually translate to um, your endurance performance? Other studies that are released show that yes, um, if you improve your running economy, even if it's tested in a short duration, that it does affect your overall, say, 5K time trial or 10K time trial. But um, yeah, in this study, when it came to running economy, the test that was actually done was four minutes on the treadmill just to have a look at what your oxygen consumption does and how efficient you are at that given speed. Um, so just a snapshot within those four minutes. And yeah, it's hard to say over a marathon how that running uh, efficiency, how that oxygen consumption is going to go. What I loved about this study, loved, loved, loved once, uh, I've mentioned this before, but was the study design. They've just thought about a lot of things that could go wrong and they've implemented the instructions that they gave, the actual um, intervention itself was just really, really well designed. And the other thing that I loved was they, sh was they showed these significant results and it's only in six weeks, like a lot of time when we're implementing strength training, it's three months, 12 weeks. And that's when you're expected to show those significant gains. But in just a short time of six weeks and showing those improvements is very encouraging for runners and um, hopefully can help encourage you to get into the gym and do these sort of strength exercises. Um, the other thing that they did mention, which I should include, is when it came to testing the leg press, they broke it up into the eccentric component and the concentric component. And they found that um, the when it came to the eccentric component, your eccentric strength, so applying load while the tendons and muscles are lengthening, um, there was an increase in the complex group, but it actually decreased in the heavy strength group. So um, it seems like the tendons um, would adapt quicker, would adapt to a greater capacity if implementing some sort of plyometrics. It seems like the plyometric exercise would uh, enhance the muscle and the tendon's ability to withstand eccentric strength. Um, so a good thing to notice. And when it comes to tendon rehab and all our earlier episodes, you need to consider a few things. You need to consider that the tendon itself needs to withstand or tolerate a certain level of endurance. It needs to tolerate a certain level of strength, and it also needs to to tolerate a certain level of power, and in some cases, tolerate compression. Um, but if you're ticking all of those boxes, then your tendon's going to be super strong and capable, of, and capable of doing a lot. So keep that in mind. Some sort of plyometric exercises introducing some sort of speed will help tick that eccentric um, or power box in your arsenal in your um, tendon rehab so um, keep that in mind as well and sometimes just doing some heavy strength work yes it will get your tendons super super strong um, it will tick that strength box might not necessarily tick that power box um, so yeah keep that in mind as well anyway that's enough from me um, how long do we go for uh, almost half an hour so this episode, even though I just released that um, that post around the article, <coughs> uh, was today. But um, because I've gone overboard on the um, my podcast publishing software, I've actually exceeded my maximal limit of downloads for this month. So this will be coming out uh, early October. So um, the a few days into October. 
uh, even though um, it's all just happening right now. But uh, whenever the runners, whenever I see within the social media and the comments and things that the runners uh, are asking for questions, I kind of like jumped into action. I'm like, oh, my runners need help. I need to provide, <laughs> I need to clarify a lot of this stuff. So hopefully you um, you liked this sort of change in pace, this change in um episodes and just going through this article it can be a bit dry for some but can be super valuable and super interesting to others so let me know what you think um and while you get off here go back to season one if you haven't listened to all of those 10 tick those off that way you're just building up a lot of your um your knowledge those universal principles that every runner needs to know so that can be the next thing you do now um i have pretty much the next two months of content lined up all ready to go um haven't recorded yet but it's all written down on paper so i'm pumped to get that out to you um and hopefully you're looking forward to it so we'll catch you next time thanks for listening to another episode of the run smarter podcast i hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running if you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter Online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.